And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of, well, The Real Investment Show, as always, as we get this morning going. Um, of course, this is also the last day of the month because it's not a leap year. So... <laughs> when is leap year? Is it next year? Okay, next year's leap year. I knew it was, I knew it was getting close. Every four years on even years. Yes. There's a joke in there somewhere. I just somewhere. Have to <laughs> anyway, uh, so anyway, last day of the month, of course, um, you know, first day of March, right around the corner. And that also is when, as we get into the end of the month, beginning of the month, that's when portfolio managers kind of rebalance portfolios, those type of things. So uh, as we talked about yesterday, uh, or actually in this past weekend's newsletter, we said that, hey, expect a bit of a rally this week. And there was a couple of reasons for that. One, market was very oversold, but also two, uh, you just have this end of the month, start of the month uh, kind of rebalancing thing going on. Yesterday, we had a bit of a rally. It wasn't real strong. We opened up pretty good, sold off most of the day. We did finish positive, so I guess you can technically call that a rally. But it wasn't, it wasn't a great one. Importantly, though, we did come off that 50-day moving average, continuing to hold that right now. This morning, futures are pointing higher as well. Dow's up about 74 points. NASDAQ's up 41. S&P's up about 9, 10 this morning. Uh, Target out missed their, um, missed their estimates and, and guided. Uh, their guidance also missed what was hoped for. But stock is trading higher on optimism. And again, uh, this hope is that ideally we're going to start to see consumers pick back up. Interestingly enough, consumer confidence has been improving. So despite, you know, all the talk about a recession and all these other things that we've had, um, consumer confidence has actually been improving ever since really kind of October of last year, continuing to get better optimism about better wages, better outlook for the economy, et cetera, um, has, has certainly kind of been feeding through into that optimism. Again, still, op uh, you know, consumer confidence is at very low levels um, historically, but is it improving. And that is part and parcel of that easing of monetary conditions. And again, not surprising uh, that you know, sentiment's improving considering you've had a fairly nice rally in the markets. They're the worst of the bear market of last year that everybody was talking about, even though it was actually never a bear market, um, certainly seems to be over. That's what most people think right now. The worst is behind us. So it's kind of a, you know, kind of clear skies from, from now on. So um, I would take that with a little bit of reticence. There is still a good bit of work to do here in this market. Earnings are still at risk. And this is the, the big challenge that's going to be coming out uh, really kind of for the markets over the next few months. Uh, a couple of ways to look at earnings and where we are right now. First of all, earnings risk premium is at the lowest level since the financial crisis. And, and so when you take a look, for example, at the earnings risk premium or the earnings yield, um, you take a look at the treasury yield and you're going, you know what? I can get four and a half percent on treasury bonds right now versus a four, I'm, I'm just kind of throwing some numbers out at you, but first is a four and a half percent yield in equities. There's not much of a decision to make. And the reason is, is, is two things. When people talk about earnings yields, you've got to be really careful with that. 
earnings yield is the inverse of the price earnings ratio. So if you want to know the value of the market, you take the price of the market, you divide it by the earnings that are generated by the market, and it gives you your, your valuation. So that's when we talk about uh, trailing valuations right now are 29 times earnings based on, you know, sickly adjusted, you know, uh, earnings ratios. And, and so that's just simply the price of the market divided by earnings. That's what the P.E. ratio is. Now you flip that backwards, flip that formula backwards, you, you take the earnings and divide it by the price of the market. That's the earnings yield. And so a lot of people will compare that. They'll say, well, look, you know, I get a better earnings yield from stocks than I do from bonds, so I'll be long stocks. Well, that was the premise in pretty much all of 2010 through 2020 as the Fed was injecting capital into market. It's a bit of a fallacy. And the reason is, is that you do not get an earnings yield, right? You do, when you own stocks, you don't get a check every month and go, here's your earnings yield for the month. That, that's not the way that works. When you own a bond, a treasury bond, that has a yield of 4.5% or whatever it is, you do get a check for that interest payment every month. There is a big difference between a treasury yield and an earnings yield. There's also the function that a treasury gives you back all your money at maturity when stocks don't because there is no maturity on stocks. So be careful with a little bit of this. When people talk about earnings yield, be careful about, it, about the term itself because earnings yields are really more of just a mathematical calculation, not an actual yield that you receive on your investments. But the point is, is if I'm comparing risk, and again, let's go back to that example, I'm getting the same yield, theoretically, earnings yield versus treasury yield. Which investment should you make? Well, the easy answer is treasuries because A, I get a guarantee of principal, my money will get paid back which I don't have that, that guarantee with stocks. And I actually get the yield from bonds versus stocks. So again, when you start looking at very low levels of earnings risk premium where we are now, it tells you really that there's probably more risk to the market than it seems. And as we discussed previously, this year is gonna be a challenge because earnings estimates are still very high. Earnings right now, the analysts, Wall Street analysts still expect this quarter, quarter one, to be the trough in the earnings decline. Yet we still have the Fed hiking interest rates to slow the economy. We still have inflationary pressures. All of that weighing on the consumer, which is where earnings are derived from, it's hard to make the case that earnings are going to trough and things are about to start improving. Unless you get a magical recovery in the economy, even as the Federal Reserve is continuing to hike rates at an accelerated pace at this point. And again, we're about to have another Fed meeting coming up in March. They're going to hike rates by at least 25 basis points, but now there's a 40% chance they might go 50 basis points because some of the recent economic data suggesting that, well, inflation remains way too strong right now for them. On the other side of this also is that all those rate hikes, we talked about this so, so many times before, but we still don't have any of those rate hikes that have been done. That 475 basis points of rate hikes last year have not shown up in the economy yet, but that will start in March, assuming there's a 12-month lag to rate hikes. So again, there's a lot of break being applied to the economy, and right now that has not been reflected in the markets as of yet, and it's not been reflected fully in earnings. There's probably still a decent downside to go in earnings through the course of this year 
that is going to eventually weigh on both valuations and, of course, on prices because prices will have to adjust for a lower flow of earnings if things don't start to markedly improve. And that's going to be the real challenge for investors over the course of the next several months. So again, while the markets are holding up here, again, we said yesterday, expect a bit of a rally. We're going to try to get that rally. It's going to be weak, but use that rally to sell into. Again, there is real risk here. About a 1% decline in this market from here is going to violate these very kind of important support levels and suggest lower levels in the market. So we are in a very fine line right now um, between a bullish market and potentially a bear trap and or a bearish trap right now in the markets as well. So just be careful as I'm saying, use this as, as an opportunity to raise some cash. When we'll come back, we'll talk about uh, profit margins in relation to this conversation because if profit margins don't revert this year, there's bigger problems with the markets and the economy in general. We'll talk about that after the break. There's also an article about this on the website this morning to follow up. You know, so as we talk about this, you can follow up with your research on our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all our videos ready for your easy access. Now with the new and improved Before the Bell reports, Candid Coffee, and Lunch and Learn replays, plus each day's radio shows like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show, or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning it is of course Tuesday, it's early today. Had a hard time getting up this morning. So, talking a little bit about profits and economics and those type of exciting things this early in the morning, because grab your cup of coffee. Um, <laughs> one of the things that is going to be an interesting, and as we kind of left off with in, this, in the last segment, talking about earnings, you know, right now analysts expect that earnings will have troughed this quarter. And, it, you know, it really doesn't take much work to kind of look around and go, okay, you still have the Fed hiking rates. You still have inflation running hot. Um, the goal is to slow economic growth. So if that's the case, you know, one plus one plus one, you know, equals five. It just you know, suggests that you're going to have slower economic growth and earnings this year. So it's hard to, to make the case that earnings will have troughed and begin to improve by year in. It could be the case. Could be the case. Just hard to make that argument. But, you know, one of the other kind of issues is profit margins, which are still trading at fairly high levels, very elevated levels. And, and a lot of that was due to this kind of conundrum of events. I wouldn't say conundrum. Collision of events would be a better term. Back in 2020, 2021. 
And we wrote an article about this this morning. It's on, it's on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com, but just wanted to touch on it for a moment here. Profit margins don't exist in fairyland. They are a function of earnings, revenues, right? What you, you know, when I, I sell a product, I then pay all my cost, and then what I've left over is my net profit, right? So my profit margin. What's my profit margin? You know, how much do I have between what it costs me to build the product and what can I sell it for? What's that difference? That's my profit margin. And that's not a hard concept to come up with. And the whole goal of capitalism is to sell something at a profit. So... In 2020, 2021, it was the perfect storm for corporations to generate an accelerated level of profit. Now, immediately, the, the media goes on the spin is like, ah, they're price gouging and blah, 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 right? No, that's not, that's not what happened at all. There's a basic concept in economics called supply and demand. When there is a lack of supply and you have a lot of demand for a product, prices go up. Think about an auction. I've got one item to sell at an auction. Who gets it at the auction? Highest bidder. Right? I have a lot of demand. I've got a room full of people all bidding on this one item that is a rare item that everybody wants. So the prices go up. Same thing in economics. If I'm a store and I've got five widgets to sell and I've got 100 people wanting my five widgets, guess what happens to the price of the widget? Goes up. Same thing in commodities, right? Everybody wants to buy gold coins. Prices go up. When there's a limited supply of anything and an outstripping of demand, prices go up, supply and demand. And there's a very simple economic equation that relates to that. And if you and if half these people in the mainstream media would ever take a basic economics course, um, they would understand how economics work and you would get rid of a lot of these kind of media-driven narratives in the markets about how why capitalism is broken and, and you know, people are price gouging and et cetera. And that's absolutely not the case. Um, but the reality is simply the function that, and Brandon, if you can show this chart for me, if it'll hold. Um, this basic equation of supply and demand exists. Now leave that up here for a second because I need to walk through it. So what we're showing here, if you're, you're driving your car, don't try to look at this on your phone. It's in the article. <laughs> But if you're watching our YouTube stream this morning, thank you for watching. Be sure and subscribe. Click the little bell icon for us. Um, so in a normal environment, when you have normal supply and normal demand, there is a price point that occurs where supply and demand are at equilibrium. And whatever that equilibrium price is, that's what that price sells for. 
Now, in 2020, we started injecting liquidity directly to households in the economy. So all of a sudden, everybody had all this extra money to spend. Now, at the same time, we shut down the economy. So companies were, were letting employees go, and we had a massive surge in unemployment, and we couldn't produce anything. Right. Because supply lines were shut down. Nobody was doing anything. Everybody was at home, you know, looking at their four walls and wearing a mask and a hazmat suit in their bathtub. So what happened? Now you got everybody online ordering stuff, fixing up their house. And despite the fact we're all locked down wearing hazmat suits and face masks and, you know, washing or taking daily baths and, and alcohol swabs. We were all running down to Home Depot. If you, if you went down to a Home Depot during the pandemic shutdown, place was a madhouse, right? Everybody's buying stuff to fix up stuff at their house, right? But we couldn't produce anything. So there was what? A boost in demand against restricted supply. So what happened to price? Prices went up. And since prices are going up on a limited supply of product, and since companies had laid off all their workers, reducing the largest cost to any the largest cost to any business is payroll and health care, salaries, benefits, all that stuff. That's the biggest cost. So that was massively reduced. So Let's let's do some basic math, folks. Here we go. All right. I, I have I sell something for a dollar. Previously, when I had everybody employed, my cost of my employees, the product, everything else cost me 80 cents of that dollar just to make it. I cut my I cut my labor cost in half. So let's say that drops 20 cents off of every dollar. That of, of product that I produce, and now the product is selling for $1.25 because there's so much demand for it, but I don't have any to produce. So if my cost goes from $0.80 cents on the dollar down to $0.60 cents on the dollar, my pr and my sell price is now $1.25, my $0.20 cent profit margin just went to $0.65. Cents. Now, this is where the media goes, you know, and... and those in Washington is like, it's not fair. They're price gouging. No, it's basic economics. But here's the important part. Okay, you can stop sharing. I'm not going to share anymore. <laughs> I'm not sharing. <laughs> but the point now is, and, 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 what we need to understand is that that restriction of supply and that massive boost to profit margins is unsustainable. Because now supply lines are back on track, right? Supply lines are open back up. You can pretty much get whatever you want for the most part. There's still a few items here and there. But for the most part, you can pretty much get what you want. Demand is falling because people are running out of money now. Take a little bit of more time. And we've hired everybody back. 
So my 60 cents that I was paying for employee labor costs, et cetera, so forth and so on, is now back to 80 cents on the dollar. And I can no longer sell that product at $1.25. I'm going to eventually move back down to a dollar. I may be at $1.20 now, right? There's still some of that lingering effect within the economy. But the point is, is that as things normalize, as that liquidity is extracted from the economy, profit margins are going to contract. So these accelerated levels of earnings that we saw for companies in 2020, 2021, that accelerated growth rate of earnings is not sustainable. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the basis of capitalism and how it works. Supply and demand. Profit margins are probably the most mean reverting series in finance. And if profit margins do not mean revert, then something has gone badly wrong with capitalism. That was a statement by Jeremy Grantham, and he's absolutely correct. If for some reason corporations are able to massively hang on to these profit margins that they've generated over the course of the last you know, couple of years, then I will agree with you that capitalism is broken. Basic economics says capitalism is not broken and that profit margins will mean revert along with earnings as the economy is impacted by higher rates. If it doesn't, we'll have a different conversation. All right, quick break. We'll come back. That article, Capitalism is Broken, if record profit margins don't mean revert, is on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back. Listening to the Real Investment Show. So I've talked about this before on the show, and every year, um, Fidelity, Vanguard, you know, these these companies come out with their studies talking about the average 401k balances and how many 401k millionaires there are, et cetera. And it was interesting because last year there were 299,000 401k millionaires, according to the study, which was a 32% drop from the previous year when there were 442,000 millionaires. Which means that there was a whole bunch of people right on the cusp of having a million dollars in their 401k plan. And the average, according to Fidelity, the average account lost 23% in 2022. Now, what's interesting about that is the market was only down about 19%. So despite the fact that these individuals are in basically mutual funds for the most part, they lost more money than the market. But again, you know what we saw was this drop. 
big drop in the number of people that right on the cusp of having a million dollars, they don't have that anymore. But this really goes to a bigger issue of when you hear those numbers, you're like, wow, right? 229,000 people. Okay, what, how, what percentage of workers is that? It's about 1%. So when we talk about the top 1% of income earners, the top 1% of the wealthy, the top 1% of this, that, blah, blah, blah. It's the same thing in 401k plans. About 1% of the population has a million dollars in their 401k plan. The average balance last year was running a lot lower. Like a whole lot lower. <laughs> and something we've talked about before is that you know we talk about this group of people that are going to move into retirement and they are not prepared for retirement financially. And this is why we talk about the issues with Social Security and, and, and Medicare, Medicaid, and, and the issue you've only got less than, you have less than two people paying into the system for every person taking out, and we've expanded benefits and all these type of things, but yet there's such a huge dependency on those welfare systems that it's something you can't really, and this is why nobody wants to touch Social Security to try to fix it, because it's depended on by so many people. It's, it's a political suicide game if you try to fix Social Security. So that's why nobody touches it. But when you look at the numbers, you know, in quarter four of 2022, the average account balance for a 401k plan was about $103,000. That's the average. Median, when you strip out those millionaires, right, starts to fall into the, the mid-60s. So the median balance for most 401k plans runs right around $60,000, dollars $70,000. That's about one year's worth of living expenses for most people. Maybe two if you're really modest about it. It's not a lot. And so that's why you have this dependency on welfare. You know, and this is, and then of course, you know, when you have a year like last year where people lose 23% of their balances, this becomes a, a bigger issue. For example, quarter four of 20, just, just give you an example here. Quarter four of 2021, the average balance was $130,000. Quarter four of 2022, a year later, it's $103,000. So that's that impact of the markets. And this is why we talk so specifically, you know, for most people, not you, because you're listening to a finance, if you're listening to a financial talk show at 6.38 in the morning, you probably have some money invested in the markets and you're concerned about it. Otherwise, you wouldn't listen to a financial talk show because it's boring. <laughs> I mean, come on. Of course, the music's not that good anymore either. So, yeah. <laughs> this new, the new music today, I, I, I'm getting to be more like my father every day. It's like, you know, the music you kids listen to today, you know. Oh, well, the, but that's not what we play here. Well, I know. I'm not saying the music here. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening to a financial talk show, you know, 
some music. You could on, be listening yeah. to, to, to some good music this morning. He's yeah. listening to a financial talk show, but even the music's not that good anymore. So <laughs> you're really running out of options. We try to compensate. Yeah, exactly. But the point is, is that, you know, we've talked about this before about taking risk in your 401k plan. And you shouldn't do that. And let me explain to you why. If you're going to take risk, do that in an after-tax investment account. Save up some money, go trade stocks, and you know try to hit the home runs. At least you can write off your losses against your gains in that account. In your 401k plan, you can't. But what people are doing in their 401k plan is they're taking on an extraordinary amount of risk to try to grow that money for retirement. And I get it. I understand it. But you really shouldn't do that. You should be much more conservative in your 401k plan because of a couple of reasons. The first is, is that you get no tax benefits to, you know, you sell stuff at losses and you can't offset gains. You just lose money. Right. I mean, that's that's all there is to it. So that's that's but that's not the big issue. The big issue is, is the reason that you should be more conservative in your allocation, your 401k plan besides not blowing yourself up, is that you get free money into your account because the company, in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, the company matches between 3 and 6% of your contributions. So you're getting money put into your account just because you added money. And if you go back and run the numbers, right, that's a significant amount of money over time. But if you, if you destroy your portfolio by taking on too much risk in your 401k plan, not only are you destroying your pre-tax contributions, right? So now remember, this is money you're putting into your 401k plan pre-tax, unless it's a Roth, but let's just go with traditional 401ks. This is money you're putting in pre-tax. So you're saving tax dollars, first of all. So if you destroy your portfolio by taking on too much risk, you destroy the benefit of having to been able to contribute to that pre-tax. But you also destroy the value of the free money you were given by the company match. So it's almost a double whammy. This is also why we say never, ever, ever, never, never ever, ever take out a loan against your 401k plan. Because when you have to pay that back, you're paying it back with after-tax dollars. And if you destroy the value of your portfolio because of a bear market while you have that loan out, you've just really crushed the impact of your portfolio on your portfolio. So just don't ever do it. It's a bad idea. People email all the time, well, the, the rate's cheaper. No, it's not. Not when you start considering the fact you're paying that loan back with after-tax dollars. So the point is, be careful with your 401k plans. Treat that with kid gloves. Be super conservative. I don't care how aggressive you think you are. It doesn't matter. Be ultra conservative with your 401k plan. Protect that capital at all costs and let it grow. Don't worry about trying to grow it to make it into a big pile of money that you're going to solely retire on. If you can't save money, Outside of your 401k plan, first of all, when you're looking at your, you know, your cash flow structure at home, the first thing you should do right off the top before you do anything is fully fund your 401k plan every year. So 
take your total amounts you contribute every year, divide that by 12. That's what you put in every month right out of your paycheck. When that paycheck comes in, you need to be saving money there as well. That's your investment dollars that you're going to invest more aggressively. Then you live on the balance. And if you can't save money, you've got a cash flow problem at home. Fix that. But the problem for the vast majority, and again, none of this probably applies to you right now. Because, again, if you're listening to a financial show at 6.43 in the morning, because I've been rambling now for six minutes since the last time I said this, um, <laughs> you know, you've probably got some pretty good grip on your financial situation. However, for a vast majority of Americans, 80% of Americans can't come up with a $500 emergency fund. It's not surprising they have basically one year salary saved up in the bank in their 401k plan. And this is why the dependency on social welfare is so high. And this is, and look, this, you're, you're seeing a vast impact of this across the country. We're now reaching that final tipping point financially and economically in this country. Parents are now moving back in with their kids. You know, we talked, we talked about a couple of years ago, millennials wouldn't leave the nest, right? They wouldn't leave the house and they were living with parents. Now parents are having to move back with their kids because they can't afford it, right? Multi-generational families now becoming a thing. More and more and more. Sorry? It's the Waltons all over again. Absolutely. All right, quick break. We back. Wrap up show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Janet Yellen is visiting Kiev, reaffirms economic support for Ukraine. Of course, she can't remember what she had for breakfast, but... This woman, she's a disaster. Anyway, the U.S. is a headline this morning. The U.S. is about to be invaded. Of course, this is my, my you know, my wife goes regularly from being a private detective solving the Idaho murders to, you know, now being a political analyst. And she's convinced we're about to have World War III because we're shooting down balloons. Now this headline this morning is really going to get to go. The U.S. is about to be invaded. But it's not by Russia or China. It's by hordes of super pigs coming out of Canada. <laughs> yeah, you can't make this stuff up. Uh, uh, already beset by wild boars in the southern region. And by the way, you know, Texas, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, you know, all along the southern border of the United States. 
it's not illegals, it's boars. Uh, and, and they're very, and, and feral pigs are a big problem. So, I mean, if, if you're a, a farmer and, you know, they, they, they are very disruptive. And, and a, the, a, first of all, they're very dangerous, but B, uh, they're very disruptive. They root and, and destroy plants and, you know, farms, those type of things. And so regularly uh, people will go out. And, and, and again, if you want a really fun weekend, you can rent a helicopter and go fly around and shoot wild boars. Um, so, but boar hunting is is not just a sport. It's also a necessity because these things breed so rapidly, right? And and again, they're very they they're, they're actually here, like in Houston, up in Woodlands, uh, you know, kind of in Texas area. Wild boars have actually started to infiltrate into residential areas as well. So, and, and again, they can be very dangerous. If if you make one mad, they will they can kill you. So, they are dangerous. Um, I've had one chase me. It's not fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> did you really? Yeah, we were, we were out hunting and, and 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 they're not easy to kill, right? Yeah. So I mean, I you know because they've got so much padding. They do. Yeah. And and so I shot one and it didn't kill it and Kept it started it running after me, and you don't want it to catch you. So and I'm, that's <laughs> why you do them from helicopters. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All I know is is that I unloaded a nine millimeter into it and it was still coming. So oh, man. yeah. Anyway, and then there's this group of people. They're mostly ex-military, but they go out and hunt these things with knives. So really, yeah, yeah. They're they're just asking for it. Anyway, quicker field dressing. <laughs> exactly. But now the U.S. is about to be invaded by hordes of super pigs set to spill over from the current ranges in Canada. See, it's always problems with Canada. And blaze a multifaceted path of destruction across the northern states and beyond. So what, what's about to happen, theoretically, and, and is that you're now going to get the same boar problem up in the northern states that we have in the southern states. So um, these pigs are a cross between domestic—I want to know who did this, by the way—a cross between domestic pigs and European wild boar. These beasts pack a wallop. The largest super pig killed so far was well over 600 pounds— and scientists say they are highly intelligent. Of course, if you look at the people on social media, it doesn't take much to be highly intelligent. Raise that bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Feral pigs have already unleashed economic damages around $1.5 billion a year in the United States. And with this imminent gift from our Canadian friends... The toll's growth is set to accelerate the pig's destruction in a variety of ways, devouring crops, uprooting trees, contaminating water, and carrying viruses that can leap into human populations. So that's why people hunt hogs. So anyway, just we are now being invaded. Headline this morning, this is what you needed to know. <laughs> Invasion of Canadian quit, bacon. Quit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can eat them. Yeah, you know. For a long, long time. Yeah. 600 pounds worth. 600 pounds to keep you in, Man. Keep you in meat for a while. Um, all right. Back to, back to work here. we got serious stuff to talk about. Uh, I, one more thought. Yeah. We ahead. have government cheese. Yep. Couldn't we have do government you know, pork? Do you know that there, is, there are caves? Yes. Where we actually store cheese? Yes. Underground. Just in case? Just in case. <laughs> I just want to know why we didn't tap the strategic cheese reserve mm -hmm. because the cost of cheese has gone up at stores. Oh, yeah. 
but we tapped the strategic oil reserve, but no, we're still hoarding that cheese. You know, that started back from World War II. We had government cheese. Government cheese, yes. So I just want to know when we're going to attach. The, the, I just want to know. I wonder where it is. Well, I, it's it's in Wisconsin mostly, but in caves. But the point is, is, is like, how good is that cheese? <laughs> well, it's aged quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, it's well Can't aged. Can't be bad. Yeah, this is true. Anyway, Vanguard CEO. You know, uh, we talked about this last year in terms of ESG investing, and and there's a good bit of scam around the whole ESG, you know, issue. It sounds great in theory. Uh, the impact is negligible at best, if at all. It's mostly a way for Wall Street to charge you four times as much to give you the same amount of performance in portfolios. And exchanging stocks really has nothing to do with, you know, creating a better economic or environmental outcome, right? So just buying and selling stocks really doesn't mean to do a whole lot. But now, because of pushback, ironically enough, now because of pushback from states like Florida and Texas, who are pushing back against companies like BlackRock and others that have been promoting this high-cost investment of ESG, all of a sudden these companies are buckling and going, uh, okay, well, great, don't kick us out of your pension plans. And so, as I said back then when we started talking about this, it all comes down to profits. This is all fine and dandy until you're not making money. And remember back in 2020, nobody wanted to own energy stocks because, well, they weren't ESG friendly. In 2022, they couldn't buy enough of them because of performance. Vanguard is now abandoning the ESG investing alliance as well. Their excuse being that we're not in the game of politics, but really this comes down to money. Um, because as more states move to ban these ESG kind of religious fanatics from pension plans, which are multis of billions of dollars in value, that's a huge impact to the financial bottom line. So that's not something that really all of a sudden Vanguard and BlackRock want to be involved with, right? They, they, they want the profit. So Vanguard is now doing this. Says, Our research, this is according to Mr. Buckley, who said this in a recent interview with the Financial Times. Our research indicates that ESG investing does not have any advantage over broad-based investing. And he's absolutely right. And I've, I've done that research for you already. If you go to our website and, and just type ESG up in the search bar at the top of our website, You'll see a couple of articles, but we compared an S&P 500 fund to the BlackRock ESG ETF, which charged four times as much as an expense ratio, and the correlation of performance was 99%. The only difference in the top 10 holdings of the BlackRock ESG ETF and the S&P 500 was that BlackRock was in the top 10 holdings of their ETF. In other words, for every dollar that went in, a bigger weight of that dollar went into their own stock, boosting their stock price. No, there was no self-serving interest in that either. Matching word to deed, his comments came after he had withdrawn his firm from the $59 trillion net zero asset managers initiative. 
an organization that is a part of the $150 trillion UN Nations-affiliated Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero. That's a big mouthful of words. Here's his statement. We do not believe that we should dictate company strategy. It would be hubris to presume that we know the right strategy for the thousands of companies that Vanguard invest with. We just want to make sure that risks are being appropriately disclosed and that every company is playing by the rules. Mr. Buckley effectively claims that ESG managers are playing the fool and taking their clients' money with them. Case in point. Fewer than one in seven active equity managers outperformed the broad market in a five-year period of the past five years. Not one relied exclusively on a net zero investment methodology. Betting his clients' money on politicians and regulators consistently doing the right thing would be irresponsible. This is a receding chance the globe will be at net zero. No, sorry, let me, I misread that. There is a receding chance the globe will be at net zero by 2050. No one should promise the, to base his entire investment strategy on such odds. And, and this is the point of investing. Don't allow your politics to involve in your investing because one rarely has to do with the other. There may be some impact, but at the end of the day, when it comes to making money in the markets, that's what will, that's what will drive markets. Greed and fear ultimately is what drives markets, politics aside. And again, as we said back in 2020, when nobody wanted to own energy stocks because of this ESG thing, we said this is a fallacy because we saw this back in 1998, 1999, when we were doing sin stocks. Back then, it was no gambling, no pornography, no alcohol, no tobacco. And you know what the best performing stocks were after that? Those stocks. Always the case. So... Leave your politics at the door, invest your money, just like Vanguard does, and where you're going to make money at the lowest possible cost. All right, wraps up the show for the day. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Capitalism is broken. That article is out right now on the website. Uh, just go by there if, if profit margins don't mean revert, and they're, they're going to, and that's going to be the big issue here coming up for the rest of this year. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow. Be good.